Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I know that a lot of programs out there are struggling with numbers right now in the wake of virtual learning. And that's why I'm really excited to bring you our guest today, Jeff Scott. Jeff is the co-writer of the book Habits of a Successful Middle School Band Director, and he's the mastermind behind the Cario Band Program that feeds into Wando High School. He's a master of recruiting, and he has some amazing ideas to share. I think his book is pretty much the Bible of teaching middle school band, and I actually buy it for every student teacher that I have. One thing that really struck me in our interview is that even though he teaches at a nationally recognized band program, he's still had many of the same challenges that the rest of us have with guidance, administration, and feeder program issues. And I think you're just in for a real treat of wisdom and relatability in how to overcome some of these obstacles for your program. All right, before we get into the interview, you know what time it is. This week's pick is March to Castle Rock by Steve Hodges. This is my absolute favorite march for middle school band. Between the fast pace, the layering harmonies, and the beautiful legato B section, this piece just really has it all for me. Like many marches, there isn't much variety in the percussion. It's just snare bass crash timpani, so I typically put a number of kids on mallets and give them the oboe part to play for a little more variety. Speaking of woodwinds, you'll need to have some pretty awesome woodwinds to do this piece some justice, particularly in that B section. I'm looking forward to programming it for my 8th grade next year. Let's take a listen. Or listen to this piece, check out the show notes or head to theflyingbaton.com.
Jeff Scott is the director of bands at Cario Middle School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and he's held that position since 2001. He is a graduate of the University of Kentucky and received a master in instrumental music and conducting at Southern Oregon University. Mr. Scott is co-author of the highly touted books, Habits of a Successful Middle School Band Director, Habits of a Successful Middle School Musician, and Habits of a Successful Beginner Band Musician, published by GIA Publications. Bands under Mr. Scott's baton has received exclusively superior ratings at state, regional, and national competitions since 1989. Those bands have also received the SCBDA's Outstanding Performance Award every year since 1989. Mr. Scott has presented clinics for the Midwest Clinic in 2014, 2017, and 2021. No, no, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, like I, I'm a trombone player, so we we do we do one take, we wing it. Most of the time, it's the first time we've seen it. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's see what we get. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, when I wanted to do an episode on recruitment and retention, uh, you were definitely the first person that came to mind. And actually, my wife suggested the episode because she saw me reading your book. I had I pulled it out uh, for my student teacher. Actually, I buy a copy for every student teacher that I have. And I was Thank like, you. this is, this is the Bible of teaching middle school. Like you, you need this book. Actually, I give it to band directors who are going to high school as well. Cause I think it's just a bit more thorough of a book than, than the first one that came out. It's just, and it's like twice as thick, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it, it's, there was a lot that went into that book. You know, it, we had three writers on it and everybody had their own opinions of, of how to do things. And we all, we each have our own unique voice. There's no mistaking when Scott's talking and when I'm talking in, in the book, it's uh nobody's ever been confused about who who wrote what <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's so well put together and i mean i think i speak for a lot of us when i say that like this book like launched my career forward like 10 years and and i truly do mean that i mean there's just so much stuff in here it's like it really is like the field manual for how to have a successful program so thank you so much for putting your efforts into that and giving us this awesome resource i appreciate it thank you for the compliment yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about recruitment and retention. I think a lot of people kind of neglect the the retention part. So I definitely have some questions there too. But I was, I was reading through your book last night to kind of prep for the interview. And one of the things that you mentioned in there is that when you go into your elementary school feeder, the kids should recognize you and say like, oh, there goes the band director. And like, they should kind of recognize who you are. How do you go about achieving that? Well, it used to be really easy at my school. Scott Rush was the high school band director. I was his feeder. And Michelle Rush, his wife, was my elementary school feeder. So I was always invited into the room. You know, I would I would just pop in and 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 teach some things or watch the kids. I mean, I I was an, a fairly common guest, you know, uh, in the halls at my elementary school when we had that relationship. It's funny you ask about that because um, we don't have that relationship anymore. We our largest feeder program went to Michelle moved to Somerville with Scott. And, uh, well, they're married, so that probably worked out well. But we had a situation where they hired a retired teacher from up north who was just kind of putting in a few years to supplement, you know, to pad her retirement. And, and not a big band fan. Came from a state where band is not terribly important in a lot of places. They, they tended to start kids really young, and they'd only see them one or two days a week. So feeding a large, successful program was not something she was really into. For a few years, it did okay. The reputation went well. Then COVID hit. Two years prior to COVID, the, the drama teacher at that school came to our school, and she decided that she wanted to wean kids out of band into drama for her best friend. So we were banned from coming into the school for two years. Oh, wow. We took a 60% hit in our recruiting. And this year when COVID, it was the first time we've been able to go back since 2019 and COVID. 
And when we walked in, used to, if I walked down the hallway, every kid knew me, every kid knew my name, every kid, they would high five you up, up and down both sides because I was very familiar to them. Yeah. This year when I went in, not one kid knew who I was. And, and so we're having to, to rebuild. So for all these teachers who haven't figured that out yet or are young or new or going to be teachers, if you think that the older guys have all the answers and it's going to work beautifully every time for us, no. All it takes to upset the apple cart for your program is one personnel change, an administrator who won't let you into the building or, or messes mm. with your recruiting calendar. And then you have to reinvent the wheel. So you have to stay kind of agile. The thing that I would do to make sure that they knew me, the biggest thing is we play concerts every year and we don't just play them for our fifth graders. We play them for, we have a, a setup where we have K-1-2 in one building and then three, four, five in one building. And then, you know, middle school, then the high school. So four different schools. And we were adamant about going over and playing. They have these paloozas and carnivals at the end of the year and semesters and things. And we take our jazz band and we do a tour of all the schools. And we start recruiting kids in kindergarten. The first time they hear us play is kindergarten. And my kids will stand around and high five them at the door. And I will go out and stand in the middle of them. Some of my kids will dance with kids there. We'll do group photos and selfies. And, I'll, and it, all I have to do is walk out in the hall uh, in the middle of the aisle of the concert. And kids just drape all over you because you're big and they're little and it's, it's important to them. And so the way we looked at it was recruiting is not something you start doing the year before you want the kid. It's something you start doing as soon as that kid's in school. By, by the time they go to the primary school, I want them already knowing about band. They know that they are going to be in band and they already pretty much have a good idea of what they want to play. And that way, if I have a situation where somebody's not being cooperative with me, I can kind of ride the storm out because the kid's pretty loyal to me already. Yeah, but this we've had some challenges that when we were, we've been taken out of the elementary school for three and a half years. So if, if you think about that, not one kid at our three, four, five school ever saw the band once. So now we're back. We did the Paloozas. We did some things before Christmas and we're starting back on the road of where we were. But yeah, it was, that was a hit. Now, I, can I give you a follow-up question on that one? Yeah, sure. So the big question people say then is, and that we had for ourselves was, what do we do now when we have an uncooperative administration and a very uncooperative elementary feeder program in our largest feeder program? And we don't have access. We had to get real creative. We bought banners and yard signs, and we put them in every neighborhood in our, in our district to join band. We put huge banners across the road, probably illegal, but we did it anyway. <laughs> we got good band parents. And uh, so when they drove out of school, there was no option except to see a banner to join band. We played concerts outside on the road, leaving the school because there's only one way out. So they, as they're sitting in traffic and in the line to get out of school, they were going to hear the band one way or the other. And we this year, what we did for Christmas is we went over and played a concert for, for all the fifth graders. And then we had all of our eighth graders and seventh graders who knew those kids or even sixth graders who knew a kid over there, write a Christmas card to them, uh, telling them, you know, Merry Christmas. And, and we can't wait to have you in band. And you know, I'm so-and-so I play this, you know, hopefully you're, you're making your decision about what you want to play. And the kids that nobody knew, we suggested some things that they could say and improv on. And we made a Christmas card for every single child in fifth grade and sent it to them handwritten, a personal note from a band kid. Because like I tell my students, if you're in third, fourth grade, there's only two kinds of people, big people and little people. And even <laughs> though you're an eighth grader and you still feel like a kid yourself, to a third grader or a fourth grader, you're big. You're, you might as well be an adult. And, and if they get that personal recognition signed to them from an adult, that, that that's kind of special for a little kid. 
So what our goal is to circumvent the things we can't change and, and create avenues into those kids that they can't keep us from doing. So yeah. that's, that's how we've dealt with our, our most recent difficulty. Have you used social media to promote your band program to the greater community? We do. We have our, our webpage this year. We YouTube uh, a lot of our stuff. A lot of our concerts are on there. We have a little bit of trouble with that. The principal that we have at our elementary school will not allow us to have contact information. Of They, they claim it's a privacy act thing. So we have to get it voluntarily. So when we do our concerts, we ask them if they are interested in hearing from us to, to write down some stuff. And then we collect them. And then we do reach out to them. I, I was in Iceland this past summer and I sent all my fifth graders that I recruited a video of me standing next to the erupting volcano and saying hi to my future band kids <laughs> just to let them know that I was, I was half a world away, but I was thinking about them. Oh, that's and, really and awesome. Stuff, and just, it pops up in their email that they provided and they think it's really cool. That's really great. Are you, are you able to get the contact information like between fifth and sixth grade, like over the summer? Not until they register for my class. Oh, Wow. Yeah, wow. it's, we were. You know, I don't want this to sound like this is something that happens all the time. We had a great system and it worked like crazy. We were up to about 175 a year and our school only has 1,200 kids and we have 15 related arts choices that they can take. So we were way over what we should have been pulling in. But like I said, each person, each director is going to have a situation where things are going to change. Hmm. A, a bad relationship gets better or a good one gets not as good. And, and then you're going to have to adapt. I don't think there's any one set thing that you can say that will work for everybody because, you know, for 20 years, we thought, yeah, this will work for us. And, and we were shown, mm, you know, you're going to have to make some adjustments. But that's what keeps you young. I mean, it's my 35th year and I'm still having to learn stuff. So the eager numbers go down to about 100, I guess, after all this started happening? We, we dropped down. We dropped down to just under 100, about 90. And then we had to teach outside during COVID. First of all, we had no school for like four months. And then we had to teach outside all last year in the heat and the cold, whatever. They cut fingers, you know, out of mm -hmm. their gloves and, and play when it's 30 degrees and sweat like crazy in the parking lot when it was 100 degrees. So my seventh graders, first time they ever came into a band room was this fall. Eighth graders, you know, have not, my eighth graders, we just did all state auditions. They have never been to a competition or an audition. They've never done a single band event. So yeah, you want to talk about retention issues, you know, somebody took my whole batch of carrots. <laughs> and so we, we had to learn a lot of things. And that's why I think this is such a relevant topic right now, because I know for a lot of us, you know, a lot of us who were virtual for a substantial portion of last year just lost mm -hmm. a lot of kids. A lot of talented kids, like I, you know, I had kids who, as a seventh grader, crushed the all district band audition, and then the following year when we went virtual, they were like, "I don't want to play trombone in my bedroom. I'm out." You yeah, know? we uh, we didn't have so much of that. Our kids, we believe it or not, last year we had about a ninety three percent retention rate, but we we were very honest with our kids about what we were going through and we told them what was possible and what was not possible and and we gave them plans for down the road of how we were coming out of it the biggest thing that we did last year that i think really helped our retention a lot was we got to know our children again we had gotten so big we were 425 kids and it, it we had you know two and a half directors or three directors because he's he's now half time at another school and we had, we had some sectional people coming in and pulling out kids because our band room is, is built for 60 children and we had a hundred plus. So we had to pull two cabanas. We call them cabanas because 
their neighborhood is a little more affluent, so we don't have trailers. Uh, learning cabanas. Got to get that right. <laughs> and and we, we would have sectional plus, so that way we could rotate kids in so we could stay under the fire code to, to teach. And so it was, you know, the kids have had kind of a, a rough way to go. And they had no carrots, no Allstate, no region, no concert festival, no Florida trip, no Carowinds trip, nothing. So what we did is we really focused on the personal relationship with the kids. Now we just took care of the kids and we learned to like them and know things about them. And, you know, what is, is it Dale Carnegie that says everyone's favorite word in the English language is hearing their own name said? Yep. Yep. And, and that's, you know, we had gotten away from that. It had gotten, the machine had gotten too big. And uh, right now we feel like we have a better relationship with our students, largely, ironically, because of COVID. Oh, I absolutely feel the same way. So our seventh graders this year, you know, they started their instrument on Zoom last year mm -hmm. and we were virtual for most of the year. Some, well, some of them were virtual all year. But what we decided to do is we decided to schedule every kid for a 15 minute private Zoom lesson every single week, like every beginner. Mm -hmm. And and it was it took a ton of time. I mean, it was so many hours a week. But I feel like I know those kids so much better than I normally know kids because we have we have a pretty large program for our area. And and I feel like we have a large program. It's just harder to get to know the kids on an individual level. But like, I mm -hmm. feel like my seventh graders, I just know them so incredibly well because of those lessons. And we had a nearly 100% retention rate between last year and this year. And I think, I think that's a lot of the reason why. You know, it really is. I was, I was at Midwest this year and I didn't get to see this session. I'm kind of glad I didn't, but somebody was talking about, as a high school director talking about, you know, what's the most important thing in, in building your program and, and all this. And, you know, he, he made a point that, you know, having your kids love you. Uh, and, and care for you is, as a person is, is not important to building your band program. And it was funny because we were prepping for our session at the time. So I didn't get to see that, but I talked to several middle school band directors who were really good. And they said they got up and walked out at that point in time because they know better. And it's like, you know, kids come in in sixth grade, fifth grade, whatever year you start, they don't love me. They might like music class, but our kids in elementary school only got music class once every seven days. And most of the time, they just do something on a Promethean board and, you know, had the kids play along or sing along or whatever. It's, you know, not rocket science. And so they come in, you know, people say, how do you recruit them so well? The first thing I do is sell them on me. There's a new school, all new teachers, all new building. They're scared to death. They want something that feels comfortable and safe and fun. They think, oh, this is going to be horrible. And then if you recruit correctly, I think by the time I leave, I, the kids come up and tell me, I, I want to be in your class. That's the biggest thing because it's not the end all, but I can get them in through extrinsic reasons into my program. And then as they're in there longer, it becomes intrinsic. And, you know, we do that. I don't think you can be a successful recruiter at middle school level these days and not go in and entertain a bit and, and, and bring a show, you know, come in and show them some things that, that some shiny things. And as we go longer into it, we, we build the success. We teach the skill. They start getting results. They start feeling good about themselves. They start winning. And, uh, and then it becomes very intrinsic to them that, Hey, this thing I'm doing, I'm pretty good at. And, and they start really loving it. But I think at the beginning, you have to really think like a child. I mean, if you were an 11 year old, 10 year old, even in 11 in fifth grade, and you've got all these options of things to do, what are you going to have to hear to make sure you don't jump ship and go somewhere else? And I really try to get my, my head around what they want to hear from me. Yeah. And so one of the most, like, I think influential and powerful things that I read in your book was you talking about the, the breakdown of kids in your band on like the 20, 60%, 20%. Could you mm -hmm. explain that a little bit for the listeners? 
Oh, yeah, sure. We all have kids that no matter who we were, no matter if we're the greatest director or not the greatest director, we're going to have some high flyer kids who are going to be in there and they're going to make us look better than we are. And I can remember when I was teaching high school, the first the time I got stupid and went away from middle school. And I had this kid named Charlie Anchetta. And Charlie Anchetta played this Paleto USA festival when he was four on piano. He's a prodigy, just genius. And Charlie was first chair at Allstate every year. And boy, he made me look good as a director. <laughs> I never taught Charlie Anchetta a bloody thing in his life. He credits me, but he's being really generous. Charlie just made me look good. And we got those kids. We have our kids that are so into it and so all about it and so high achieving. They'll take lessons. They'll buy the professional horns. They'll do everything because they really want to be good. But that's not a lot of kids. That's a, that's a core little bunch. And then you've got this huge pot of kids who just thought it was kind of cool. And they don't know much about it. And they don't know if they like it. And they, they don't, their friends are there. Uh, it seems fun. Jazz band was fun. We played some Queen. They liked that. That was all right. And they said, well, if I got to hang out, I'll, I'll take this class. That, I think, is about 60% of your group. They could go either way. They could bail out and not really fall in love with it, or they could be the ones you sway into having a really great ensemble. And I think that 60% is, is the core to building your program. So many people focus on the top kids, but the top kids can't do it alone. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Kentucky grad. We've had horrible football teams for years. We always have one or two really good players, but we had nine that weren't. So it's kind of hard to move, move the ball forward. And, and that's kind of what happens when, when you forget about that middle kid is kind of just there. The other one is what we call the lambs. And the lambs are the 20% of kids who have absolutely nowhere else to go. I had it happen this morning. I got a kid, eighth grade clarinet player. He really, really struggles with self-esteem. I mean, horribly. One of the worst I've ever seen. And he got first alternate to Allstate. And in second period after Ben this morning, when he found that out this morning, uh, he sent me an email saying he was going to quit because he was first alternate uh, because he sucks. I'm like, you're the 25th best clarinet player in the state. Yeah, you're, you're horrible. <laughs> but he, in his mind, it, it was just, he, he's antisocial. He has a real hard time opening up with kids. And, you know, in middle school, if you're like that, they'll, if you want to be alienated, middle school is the place you should go because they will, they will make sure you're by yourself. And, and so he, he's just having a real tough time in life. I don't know if he's ever going to do anything with music. I don't know if he's ever going to be amazing. But right now that kid needs to be in my class more than I need him necessarily in my class. Hmm. And, and I think if you're a good teacher, you recognize all three of those and you understand what it is you need to give each one of those kids. It's not the same. I can, I can fuss at my, my high flyers. I can put my nose to the grindstone. There's two. And, and just drill them and they'll come back and take it. But if I did that with one of the lambs that, uh, you know, they'd be, they, they'd be crushed. And so part of retention and recruiting with kids is, is understanding which beast you're dealing with. The one, the one size, the one shoe doesn't fit all. That's what I mean by, by that. And I think that, you know, you can have a good program. You're going to still have that 20% that sometimes they don't really do much and that's okay. Uh, you're going to need that 60% because the 20 can't pull you the whole way. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think what I've seen in, in programs that are, are maybe not so successful at retention is they lose that middle 60% and they're only left with kids on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. The kids who don't want to go anywhere else. Yep. I see this a lot of high schools that have like their symphonic band goes to, you know, our assessment and they get all the top marks and then their concert band goes and they do horribly. Right. And it's like our, our kids used to call that trash can band. 
Aww. When we first came <laughs> over to Cario, there was it was a horrible situation. They had literally no teacher the year before I got there for most of the year, and it was wild. And so you had, it was small, but we had this core group of kids who really wanted to be good. And then you had the leftovers of, of all the other garbage. And so we decided that the, the district, the difference was so big that we, we put a performing group in one period and then, you know, the, the that other class in, in another period. So they wouldn't contaminate. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it didn't take two weeks before the, the, some of the older, the other kids were saying, well, you're in trash can band. And so, you know, that's, that's probably not a positive. One thing I think that people need to do, and they need to realize this, in re, if we're talking about retention for a second, I've been out, I had to have surgery this week and nothing bad, but, but I was out for a while. And my assistant was picking some festival music. And she listens to it because I think that's a, good, that's a good tune. She's a flute player. Every tune's a good tune for a flute player. I'm a <laughs> trombone player. Most tunes suck for us and i'm like what are the low brass doing and she's like i don't know but this is a good tune it'll fit us it's like we got good low brass players we need to continue you're going to have to throw them a bone one of the things that people don't think about about retention is what did you give those kids to play all year long you know it's like your low brass kids are sitting there and they haven't seen an eighth note in months you know because you go oh that's such a pretty slow thing there and the trombones are playing nothing but whole notes and half notes how do you tell a kid, hey, band's going to be fun next year when you spend a whole year just feeding them garbage parts? So one thing that we do now is we sit down and when we pick a piece, we go through each instrument and play through the piece and go, if I were a kid, would I like playing this? Because sometimes you don't think about it. You don't think that far down the score. You just look at the melody, the ranges, and you think that's a good tune. But, you know, as a low brass guy sitting back there, you're going, I'll kill you. you know, I'll kill you <laughs> if you make me play this one more time. No, I think that's a great point because I think, you know, a lot of, you know, fifth graders, they don't really have an understanding or a concept of what like concert band is. I think they all think, oh, I'm going to pick my instrument and we're going to play Michael Jackson's Thriller, you know, yep. and you kind of have to educate and also sell them on like the, the wide open realm of symphonic music, which they're completely unaware of. One of the things that we do when we recruit kids is the way our recruiting works is we hire professionals on each instrument and prior to COVID. Kids would go around each table and they would test each instrument and we would do it in groups of four or six. And the kids would, they would go around, they'd have the teacher there. The teacher would explain the instrument. We would have assistants from our program that played those instruments, working the tables, cleaning mouthpieces, meeting kids, getting them in groups. And then every group that came in had guides that were also my kids and they all wore the band t-shirts. So the, the branding is everywhere. And uh, the guide would stay with the kids all the way through the whole night. And then at the end of the night, after they had seen and tried every instrument, we would bring them in and they would talk to me. And I would say, pick your first, second, and third choice of what you liked and what you thought as well. Here's how the system works. The teachers told me what your natural ability is on the instrument. You're going to tell me, regardless of what they thought, what you thought was your best thing. And then I'm going to take the next week while you're taking standardized testing, and I'm going to figure out where to make you the most valuable you can be. And I explain it in football and bat. I use a baseball field. I have a, a, a big diagram. And I said, you know, if we have all outfielders, then everybody's just going to hit grounders. If we have all infielders, people are just going to knock it over our heads. We can't win either way. We have to have the right number of people in all the positions and every position covered with an all-star. The truth is most of you can play more than one thing at an all-star level. So what we're going to do is you're going to tell me what you like. They're going to tell me what you, they think you'll do the best at. And then I'm going to put you where I think you're most valuable. And I watch their personalities. I, I watch how attentive they are. I watch bassoon player, Lord, Katie Dixon. 
when she came in years ago, she sat straight up and down, crossed her hands like she was the queen of England. She was accessorized to the hilt in, in fifth grade and was, I mean, she was sharply dressed. Posture was perfect. And she goes, I really think I like, and I'm like the bassoon. And she goes, how did you know? It's like <laughs> lucky guess. But on certain instruments, you can kind of tell the kid's personality is, you know, are they going to be disciplined enough to deal with the mistakes of a French horn, you know, and, and things, or is it a kid who's real shy, who needs the protection of a large section and shouldn't be in, in the euphoniums or oboes because there's too much exposure. Mm. And, and I just watch their personalities and watch things about them and look at, you know, things that they, they said it done. We have their academic records too. And we kind of use all this data and we NASA the placements. And they, the kids don't leave that night knowing what they're going to play. They know what three they pick. And I tell them, if I put you on your first choice, I'm not going to call you. If I put you on your second choice, is it okay if you're if I just do that? 95% say yes. And I said, if I have to go to your third choice, I will absolutely call you and, and we'll discuss it. And I do. And so a week later, I take over these gold papers that we stole this from the Willy Wonka thing from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And they, we, they're invitations to band. And I make a big deal. I have them taken in in the middle of class, homeroom. They go out to everyone. We'll send band kids if they'll let us in T-shirts. And they'll go to each classroom and drop off the invitations. And I'll be there too. And, uh, and we hand them out. And it says, congratulations, you have been invited to play. French horn in the Cariole Middle School Band. We've never had a kid join band in my 35 years of teaching. You can't join Cariole Band. You have to be invited. And, and the reason I do that is because it makes it exclusive. Hmm. We're not exclusive about the kids we take, but getting that gold ticket basically into band is, it makes you special. And I always do it in homeroom in front of the kids who chose not to sign up for band. Because when 75% of the class just got a gold paper and you're sitting there gold paperless, you want a gold paper. <laughs> and we always have secondary instrument testing night and we'll pick up another 20 or 30 kids who, once they saw how popular it was, wanted to get in on it. And so it's, it's all kind of manipulated, but I think that's, you know, I, I think that's the, the way that we do it. And we don't worry so much about what the kid's going to play. If a kid starts an instrument and they wanted to play sax, but like Katie, I put her on, on bassoon a year later, you could have never convinced that kid that she wasn't destined to play bassoon. She had bassoon earrings and bassoon t-shirts and bassoon stickers on everything she owned and if you said you know you were actually better at saxophone she would have probably slapped you because <laughs> it becomes their identity it because they want to feel special they want to feel like you think they're special and whatever you whatever you say that makes them special they they tend to think yep that's what i was thinking too yeah absolutely i mean i think a lot of people overthink the instrument selection process of it because like I think, and you mentioned this in your book, like most kids could be successful on most instruments. Mm -hmm. And I think like your 60% of kids that you were talking about, I don't think a lot of them really care what they play. You know, like if I call them up and I'm like, Hey, I have too many flutes, but you scored really well on clarinet. Would you like to play clarinet? Most of the time they're like, all right. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> they just want to be in the band, you know? <laughs> yeah. They just want to be at the party. I mean, it's like, I don't care. I don't even know what that is, but I'll play it. You know, it's, it's just, a, it's, See, I think there are three things that little kids need. They, they need attention and they need to feel successful and they need to feel accepted by peers. I mean, middle school is a tough time. They just, and you know, they come from two or three feeder programs. They're afraid they don't know anybody, how they going to fit in. None of their friends are back in the same place they used to be. So I think that, you know, you provide those. But in my recruiting, it's built in that I'm giving them the three things they want. 
uh, I give you an example. We did two hype videos. We do hype videos uh, for our band program, and we show them on on the library. On when they do the morning news, we we have our our hype videos play, and uh, one of them is about fun, and it starts off with roller coasters, and and we're down at Universal, and we're doing all this stuff here, and the um, the song that is associated with it is called "The Best Day of My Life." Is what we used as the background music, and uh, and it, the big thing about that that video is. Every single kid in that video is in a group of kids. There's not one kid we took a picture of who's by themselves. Every kid in that, in that video is smiling. At the end, we go down the line with the camera. Every kid is waving and smiling and have a good time. There's a picture there where, where my French horn girl, Isabel, met Jimmy Fallon when he was <laughs> down there to open his ride. And we got a picture with that, which your kids still think. Uh, they go, oh, my gosh, that's Jimmy Fallon. And, uh, you know, and it gives us celebrity status. You know, the idea is if kids want to feel accepted and they're afraid they'll be the, the odd man out and nobody will like them, then I want to show them you're going to have a ton of friends if you do this. And then the other one is I have the boys, the jock kids who want to make fun of band kids and they want to act like it's nerdy to do and they want, they want to talk it down a lot. And so the next one I do, I'm a Kentucky grad. Our basketball team tends to be pretty good. And so we open up with a basketball player stripping the net with a three-pointer and it says, you know, um, do you want to be a champion? And they talk about, you know, champions do this and champions do that. And then we turn it and flip it about how we do that. And we show pictures with our kids with the trophies and the medals and, and all the awards and all the things that we've done and everything here. And we show them that because there are certain elements of, of those kids who want to be competitive and they'll try to knock kids out of my program. So I, I'm trying to feed a video to those kind of kids and I'm trying to feed it to the ones who are shy and, and are afraid they won't have friends. So, after the school year starts, are you still trying to recruit at that point or are you just kind of set once the school year begins? Depends. Used to, we were set because we had more kids than we knew what to do with. The past uh, three years with COVID and everything, we are still recruiting all the time. We're not taking anybody this late in the year, obviously, but we added kids in this year. We would. I don't find that going around and, and me trying to recruit anymore in August is, is terribly effective because they've met me, but I have my kids do it. I tell my kids, go find me one or two kids that you think you would want in your ensemble. And, and they do. They're like, I got a great friend that, that really wanted to do it last year. And, you know, and, and she's talking about it all the time. And it'll be a straight A kid, you know, they'll come in. And we, we put one kid in this fall in September, and he made region band today. And he's only been playing four months. So wow. you know, we add, we supplement if we're a little light on a section or something, we'll add when we need to. So one of the things you mentioned uh, in your book is having, I don't know if, it, if the phrasing of this is correct, but like minimum requirements for kids to be in band or like an aptitude test for joining band. Yep, we do. We do the summer band test where you, it's, it's, I don't know if, if a lot of the guys listening are, are familiar with it. It's a, it's a thing just to tell how well the kids can hear rhythm and pitch. You have two tones and it says same, different. You have two melodies, same or different. You the pitches are high, same or lower. Then there's a rhythm percussion thing and you have to tell them if it's the same difference. And it just kind of gives me an idea of where not to put a kid. See, when I do placements on instruments, I'm not really trying to place them on what I want them on. I'm just trying to, I need to balance that out. I need to get the recipe right, but I don't really care which kid is on that. What I'm trying to do is find out what they're not going to be good at because that's going to become a three-year problem. Mm. You know, if a kid can't hear rhythm to save their life, they probably don't need to be on a snare drum. You know, if a kid can't hear pitch between high and low, French horn's a disaster because they'll be playing wrong partials all the time. It'll be frustrating. They'll give up. And, and so I'm trying to identify where is not a good place for them. Same thing when we do the instrument testing and they, they come by and try the instruments. 
we're not looking for what they have a great setup for. We're looking for what won't work. You know, sometimes Cupid bow for some kids on flute is difficult. Overbites, underbites, uh, protruding tooth on a mouthpiece rim, things like that. Because I don't want a kid's first experience to be failure. The reason I do that is because when I started in sixth grade, they put me on, well, they put me, the first thing he told me was an alto horn. They don't even make those anymore. So that was probably a poor choice. And I switched the first day to trumpet. And he said, I could really use you on trumpet, but I have thicker lips and I had a little bit of an overbite and a sharp tooth that hit right on a trumpet rim. For the life of me, I couldn't get above a G for the first, I don't know how long. And I went in at Christmas and I was ready to quit. And the music store guy, said, um, do you like music or is it that you just don't like this instrument? And I'm like, I love music. I just suck at it. He goes, what if I showed you something you weren't terrible at? And he went and got a trombone mouthpiece. that was twice as wide, came out and I hit a high B flat the first note. And he goes, well, you're a trombone player. Hmm. And I went back and then I wound up getting a scholarship on trombone. And now I've taught for 35 years. And it was that <laughs> minor of a thing. It wasn't the instrument that I picked. I don't think anybody would say trombone is the sexiest instrument ever created. But trombone players would disagree. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm a trombone player and I don't disagree. I, <laughs> but it's a tough sell, man. You know, you, it's, it's, you're not, not going to go out and impress anybody at a bar with that. Guitar player, maybe. You go, ah, I'm a trombone major. It's like, well, that was good talking to you. <laughs> but it, it saved me from quitting. And so now what I look is, is what's going to make this kid quit? And how do I not do that? And so that's the aptitude test, what we do. You remember we were talking about the gold tickets. Well, you have to have a reason to give them a gold ticket. You can't just give every kid a gold ticket because you got a bunch of them. They got to feel like they did something special to qualify. So when we do the aptitude test, I'm not really trying to find out if they deserve to be in band or not. I'm trying to find out what their weaknesses are. And we say, you got to get 15 out of 22 right. Now, the truth of the matter is, is... If they don't get 15, uh, we let them retake the test as many times as they want to until they get 15. And if they take it six or seven times and they still can't get 15, we lie and tell them that they did. <laughs> and, and we put them in anyway. Uh, we don't use it as exclusion. We just want to have a qualifier so that the kids feel like they accomplished something when they get their invitation. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, if you've ever like denied kid entry in the band on the basis of grades or behavior. Behavior, yes. Grades, we put them on a academic uh, contract. They have to they have to get their grades up, all passing, or, or they're non-performing until they do. They can't travel with us. It's like, I can't reward you with a vacation when you're not doing your homework. You know, it's like, you got to cover your academics. If you want to do this bad enough, your grades will come up. And they do. We almost never had a kid that was on an academic contract that did not improve their academic grades. We can do for, and this is a great thing for, for getting your faculty on your side with, with recruiting. And retention is we can do things to help those teachers by implementing, you know, some sanctions on our kids for not performing academically, uh, you know, and say, Did you, you, you didn't turn in this project. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can't, can't have you go on this one. You know, you know what you got to do and they'll do it. And your academic teachers, sometimes they'll email me and say, Hey, so-and-so is having a little tough time with math. Can you, can you talk to them about that? But I have influence where the math teacher doesn't. And, and we can explain it in a way that can help them. And that's a great way to build your recruiting and retention is because you want the other teachers in your building telling kids stay in band. And, and so that's a little thing we do. Now, as far as discipline goes, I have a discipline contract. If it's not too severe of a problem, we will put them in and almost always put them in for the first nine weeks. But on a behavior contract, and it says, if you violate this behavior contract, we're going, you will not be allowed to stay in band. And 
sometimes we've had kids who violated it and sometimes they the kids straightened up and did better for us but i don't think that you can water a band program down where i'm not a fan of of exclusion where you say we're going to make it so hard for a kid to be in here that we're only going to be the most elite players in, in the in the school if that were the case i would have never been a teacher i would have gotten cut but i also don't think that we have to we water it down to the point that you literally tolerate anything in that room it it, it loses its specialness when everything is tolerated if the kids uh, in your program are not a behavior problem for you, but their behavior problems elsewhere in the building. Do you mm -hmm. have them go on a similar sort of thing or? Yep. We put them on a behavior contract and say, you can't travel with me if, if you're doing this and other classes. I can't gotcha. like the Florida trips coming up in, in about two months. It's like, I can't take you overnight out of state. You know, if, if this is even a hint of a possibility that you could do this. And, and so, and, and you know, I'll tell them, I say, you know, you have to have that teacher send me a note that says that they are satisfied with how you're doing before, before you'll be eligible to travel with me again. And, and they, the kids will do it. I mean, they, we have this great relationship as arts teachers that we're with kids longer than academic teachers are. And so the kids want our approval more than they want theirs. And so we can, we can use that clout to, to manipulate behavior. And, and we have, it almost never comes to that. The kid almost always comes through and does what they're supposed to do. But, uh, you know, and in our class, we will do like a demerit system or something. When we travel, if you have a higher score, you haven't lost too many demerits, you sign the bus list first and a rooming list first. And so you get privileges for, for behaving the way you should. Hmm. Uh, and that works too. It's more of an incentive than, than a, a knock on the kid. How often would you say you, you've had to remove a kid from your program? Almost never. I mean, we have, I, I can't remember last time we had to take a kid out for discipline. They remember got around a long time ago that I wasn't a teacher to mess with and they just don't, <laughs> you know, they come in and go, well, you know how he is. And, and we don't really ever have to, I haven't written a disciplinary referral in 21 years at Cario. The, the biggest thing that we have sometimes is, is some kid will do something that violates the district policy or school policy. We almost never have a problem in band but it'll be somewhere else on, on school grounds. And generally the principal will come down and tell me, listen, I don't want this kid traveling. And, and we're, they're like, fine, fine. Yeah, it sounds good to me too. And we let the administration take, you know, make the call on that one. But we, we don't run into it much. I think that, that having a band program that, that behaves and does what it's supposed to do is much like raising children. If you address small problems early, you never have a big problem. But if you're lenient with the small ones, then then that line gets pretty ambiguous and that's when you get into problems with with kids that that are not you know willing to cooperate you know i we just don't really seem to have that problem much and it sounds like your administration and guidance department are also pretty supportive as well <laughs> uh let's see uh my or head not. principal <laughs> my head principal is very supportive my first okay. assistant is very supportive three out of four of my principals are there's always that one in every mm. crowd and what's funny is her brother was a band director it wasn't you know so maybe that's where it comes from guidance got i got one the head of guidance is wonderful for us we have one that that really tries to encourage kids not to be in band because they could do so much better in academic classes if they took pre-engineering or whatever. You know, we it's the same as everybody else's school. I mean, we have the ones that'll help us and the ones that won't. And what we do is we try to channel the 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 band situation to to the ones that will. The way that our head of guidance does our school now is because band can only be taught certain periods of the day. And we do our kids a homogeneous where we divide woodwinds and brass 
and percussion. So they have to be in a certain period of band. Now, the reason I do that is because if I don't, they'll just throw them wherever and band becomes an afterthought in scheduling. And a lot of our kids get scheduled last and they go, well, they can't really fit band in and things. By doing it by instrument groups, what happens is they have to schedule the band kids first because they have to be in a certain class a certain period of the day. And that means my kids get first scheduling opportunity. They're scheduled in, in June instead of August. And, and so that way I make sure I get the kids I want where I, where I want them. And that helps me uh, a lot with being able to control behavior in my class and who's, who's where is the preferential treatment. And that's how I use my guidance counselors to, to manipulate the quality control in our room. If I have kids that I know should not be together, I have the opportunity to go make sure their instruments are not in the same class. And, and sometimes you can break up that little cluster of problems just by instrumentation. So I wonder if you have kids that have, you know, they're, they're thinking about dropping because they do have like competing interests or sports teams or activities or things like that. How accommodating are you with kids for like having conflicts with band things? I wish you could see my face uh, right now. <laughs> Let me tell you about girls volleyball. We have a, a coach down here. He's really good. We don't get along. He's a Duke grad. I'm Kentucky. So, you know, that's, it started off rough, rough already, but he, he is really insistent. The kids pay like $1,500 to be on a traveling volleyball team. And if they go to a band event, when he has a tournament, he will suspend them for two weeks and not allow them to play, but they still have to travel to those tournaments to sit out. And this is a national touring volleyball team. So it, it may, we're in Charleston. It, it may be in Memphis or it may be in Tampa or DC and their parents have to either drive them or fly them there, get a hotel room to watch their kids sit out for two weeks because they went to all state. And that was the first time that happened was years ago. We had all state kids who would not go to all state band because the volleyball coach would not excuse them. And mm -hmm. I used to be, you know, like most band directors, you know, this was on a calendar eight months ago and daggone it, you're going to be there. But really what wound up happening was that we wound up hurting the kid between two adults who the kid had absolutely no control over. So what I tell the kids now is like, look, we, we need you. Uh, for this. I understand who you're dealing with and what's going on with that. And, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. You just let me know ahead of time because it's not fair to punish another kid by you not being there. Uh, CPA is the one thing I will, you know, our concert festival ratings, we will, we will not tolerate that. But we always, we always schedule ours on a weekday where nobody wants that time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I can avoid a lot of sports things. When I practice in the, when we have to have outside of school practices to combine groups, we don't do them after school. We do them in the morning because all the activities are after school, all the coaches, practices, ball games, all after school. Nobody wants to meet their team at seven in the morning. And so, <laughs> so we take the morning time to avoid conflicts. Um, and our community is pretty affluent. Our kids are involved in everything. I mean, literally everything. We have what we call sampler platter kids. They take chorus in fourth grade orchestra in fifth grade, band in sixth grade, art in seventh grade, you know, whatever. Every year it's, it's one year and out and mm. because they can. And, and so we, we try to stay out of as many activities ways as we possibly can by getting their calendars early. And we give them out to the coaches before they make their schedule. We know most of the major players as coaches in our area, and we send them the, these are the dates we have to have. Can you please schedule off these dates? 
And 90% of them will. Then there's always that one. So this, this volleyball coach you're talking about, is that, that's not affiliated with the school, correct? It's like an outside. Oh, it, it is though. So he does his for profit volleyball thing, but he's also the school coach, which means if you don't take his $1,500 volleyball uh, club team and, and you pay that, you're probably not going to make the, the school team either. And in our, in our neck of the woods down here, volleyball is big business. The high school team is quite good. And we have kids going to college on scholarships and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's a farm system. And, and so the thing was, is, you know, by us saying, you're not going to go to that volleyball tournament, you're going to show up to this band thing, regardless, you know, the parents are going, you're maybe knocking my kid out of a college scholarship. And honestly, when we, when we chose to work with them, we really don't have that many people miss anything. It's almost, I mean, it just doesn't happen much. Maybe an all state or all region audition because it's on Saturdays and that's when their tournaments are. But the rest of the stuff nah, he pretty much leaves us alone with. So you, you pick your battles. Yeah, we lose a battle to win a war. Gotcha. The reason why I ask is I was wondering if like, if it was a school affiliated, if the principal would step in and be like, hey, you can't suspend a kid for two weeks for missing one game. No, it's a, it's, it's pseudo school associated. Okay. And, and the thing is, is principals, they say they're going to step in and do those things, but they don't because no matter what they decide, they're going to take off a parent and that's really not where they want to be. So, you know, most of the time we try not to have it go there because it, once the principal rules against your policy, you have a real hard time enforcing your policy anymore. Mm. So, so we build in some latitudes where, you know, the, the, the excused absences are at director discretion. That way, if we get a coach who's difficult, um, I have the discretion to say this kid's in a no-win situation. If I get a family who's just wanting to go to Disney who didn't read the band handbook, uh, yeah, that's a different situation. And we have what is qualified and what's not qualified to be excused drawn out so there's not so many gray areas. I think a lot of prior planning helps with a lot of that stuff. Let's, let's talk for a minute about the eighth grade to ninth grade transition, because I think this is a point of contention in a lot of programs. Um, <laughs> it is here, too. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got some experience with this one. So my question to you, and it's, uh, sorry if I'm, I'm going to ask this like I want you to answer it a certain way, but that's because I, you probably agree with me. Do you think that the high school director needs to work just as hard to recruit kids from middle school as you work to recruit kids from elementary school? Harder. Harder. Oh, wow. Harder. Yeah. I was a high school teacher for two years. Uh, then I went to middle school for five and then I followed my own middle school kids to the high school for seven. And then I've been back in, in middle school here for 21. And I, so I've done both sides of it. And, and I know I've had very famous people in our area, not like a comment that I made uh, about, I can tell you which day is harder and, and all this because in middle school it's, it's stomping fires all day long. Uh, there's no 90 minute planning period. There's no there's no breaks. The kids aren't old enough to do anything on, on their own like they are in high school sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it was it wear you out. The thing I didn't realize when I was a high school teacher was that I was supposed to recruit. I, I thought it's the middle school guy's job to get them in my band room. Daggone it, they've been in band for three years. It's his job to get them through my door. And I still have that belief here in a lot of ways. And we're slowly changing that. But in, in fifth grade, when kids come from fifth to sixth grade, they don't have a lot of options about how they're going to live their life. The parents are still pretty much in control. And you can either join this or you can join that. And that's pretty much it. But in high school, you know, kids are going in at 14. They start working at 14, 15. They can get a car at 15 and start driving at 16. You've got a lot of outside influences that kids are going to are really attractive to kids. And 
so if you don't give them some darn good reasons to stay in, the best time in the world for them to take an exit ramp is between eighth and ninth grade. Uh, plus, high school is scary. It's big. Uh, we feed Wando down here, and Wando plays Midwest, and Wando is nationally ranked with marching band, and it's intense, and, and so it's busy. And kids here, it's expensive. It's, it takes a lot of time. It's, it's real intense. It's all scary things. And generally, they hear it from kids who are, who are quitting, uh, you know, who, who are in it and no longer in it. But they don't hear from the kids who love it. And the problem is, is if my eighth grade kids don't know that high school director well, they don't have any loyalty to them. They've got to remember that kids coming out of eighth grade are loyal to their middle school teacher. Hmm. They've been there for three years with that kid, that guy. They know him. They love that person. And they don't necessarily love you. And if you don't make an effort to really get to know them personally, we've had years where our retention to the high school was not good at all. Sometimes high school directors forget that middle school kids are not high school kids. So when they make an event for middle school kids, they do it last minute. They go, hey, this Friday night, we're doing an eighth grade thing. Well, my 13-year-olds can't drive. And they got four siblings and nobody knows, you know, that's not built into this week's schedule. Sorry. And so they get low attendance. You got to let middle school kids know way in advance what's going on so that they, they, they build some excitement. You build some rapport, you build some trust. You got to become, like I say, uh, with, with our high school, you don't need to be their dad. You, know, you don't need to be that guy. The, the band directors are their moms and dads for the last three years. You just need to be a crazy uncle that they like. The, they like to see you got to be familiar enough that they're like, I like this guy because there's just way too many reasons to say, I, I think I'm done. So yeah, I think so the activities are so different, you know, I mean, middle school, yes, it's banned, but boy, if you think about adding marching band and all the things that high school can do on top of it, it's just a different beast. And, and so I think that they need to get down. We, we try to hire our high school people as much as we can to come down and guest conduct their, like our symphonic camps. And cause they're very, talented musically and 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 get to know the kids because and we don't do it so our kids can learn from a great teacher which they do but we do it so that the great teacher can meet some great kids and they can build some rapport hmm. so what do you feel like is the middle school's director when it comes like the middle school director's responsibilities when it comes to the eighth to ninth transition i i think that you have to put the high school director and high school program in the best light possible and you have to explain all the great things about it being in the program you have to teach the skills so the kids don't feel overwhelmed uh, a lot mm. of kids will quit if they feel like it's too hard they don't want to be embarrassed so your responsibility is to make sure they're they're academically prepared and that you have painted the right picture for the kids uh, of what it is to do but the thing about that i didn't know when i was a high school director but i do now that a lot of high school directors are reluctant to learn is I can't sell you. I can only sell me. And so they're leaving me. And so there has to be a bridge that you have to sell them on you, just like I had to sell fifth graders because one family's kind of coming to an end and the other family's just getting ready to start. And they're not going to go to a high school director because I say, hey, the guy's really cool and they're really awesome because we have that here but we still have kids who are scared to death to go. I, I think that we can set the table for the high school director, but the, but the director is going to have to serve the meal on that one. They're going to have to make it a welcome thing. And, and over the last few years down here, we've done much, much better with that. We did a, a trick-or-treat or trick-or-trunk thing with the Halloween thing this, this year. And then we did a community show and the kids performed with the high school band on the community show. And we invited them, our eighth graders uh, and middle, even seventh graders marched in a Christmas parade. To, you know, it's real casual. And our eighth graders and seventh graders loved 
going and being part of the group on a non-stressful situation. So, you know, we saw what wasn't working and we've adapted it and, and built some, some events to, to create some familiarity. That's really awesome. Um, that is the end of the questions that I have before I, I have a few questions. I ask everybody who comes on the show, but before we get there, do you feel like we missed anything or want to highlight any important topics on recruiting and retention? No, I think the only thing I would say right now is this, is a lot of people are really freaked out about what's happened the last two years to their programs. I, I see message boards that, that I participate on and talk to people at conventions. We do and things. And then the, the recurring theme is, is, you know, I just got decimated. I just got rolled over these last two years. We all did. I, we're not, we're not what we were. We're not even half of what we were. We're building back and, and we're doing okay. But the thing we have to keep in mind is that it took a while to build it the first time. And depending on how your school district and community handled COVID, um, you probably, you probably felt like the last decade was, was a waste of time. You know, you go, wow, well, I'm right back where I started. The, the good part about that is, is, is you're not really, because you have the knowledge of how to do it better, faster this time. And, and just realize that no matter who you go listen to or who you talk to, we're all in the same boat with you. No magic beans on this one. Yeah, I'd say it's been very refreshing to hear you talk about so many of the issues with both the feeder programs and administration and guidance that the rest of us have these problems too. But like knowing that one, like a really awesome nationally recognized band like yours is still dealing with like the same things that the rest of us are dealing with. It's very comforting, it's, actually. It not for me. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been it's been there. There have been times when you sit and say, "I can't believe that that we're having to to reinvent this wheel again." But, but you know, the, the thing is sometimes when you're handed a bad situation, it all comes down to perspective. It's like, we were winning we were doing great. We had huge numbers, but I lost, I lost the thing that made kids like me in the first place, which was, I just like children and, and teaching them and being, spending time with them. And the bigger the program got, the, the, the machine took over and it took away some of the things that were most joyful about teaching. Yeah, we're not playing grade five at festival, you know, not this year, anytime soon, maybe. But boy, I like my kids a lot, you know, mm. and I can I can suck it up and 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 not try to wow the judges, you know, for a while until we get back to where we're at. And uh, and I, I just refocused. And I think that's what we all have to do is we have to say, well, this is the new thing. And we just got to be happy with that. So hopefully that that helps. I know some of these stories may not connect with everybody, but I I, I hope that something does. Yeah. Thanks for your perspective. I think a lot of people can really resonate with that. Well, you've been very generous with your time. So I have three questions. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, not sure. related to our topic at all. First question is, do you have a mentor shout out? <laughs> yeah, I do. Gus Moody and Judy McBride. Gus Moody was a famous band director in South Carolina. And when I was a young director burning the candle at every end, yeah, some of us are type A and we have to do everything ourselves. And he, he told me, you know, you, you've got to let other people do some things. It'll never be as good as when you did it, but it'll be 95% as good. And I think he kept me in the career because I don't know if I'd have made it without him. And for a very similar reason, Judy McBride, uh, who's suffering right now with, with Alzheimer's, I was ready to quit after my first job. Uh, the first two years were really bad for me. And, uh, and Judy hired me, saw something that she liked and, and taught me to teach, taught me the, the business and, and to love kids, you know, and, and, and that's why we do it. And in 36 years, you know, 
or 34 years after meeting Judy, I'm still doing it. So yeah, the, the, those guys, sometimes it's not the music that they teach you. It's, it's how to live your life. And I think mm. those are big lessons. Absolutely. All right. Do you have a favorite middle school band piece? <laughs> one of my favorite ones that, that I really like to do, we do one called Iberian Escapades by Robert Sheldon. And it's a very mature piece. It's a grade four. If I'm going down into grade, into the younger grades, right now there, there's a march for grade two. That, that's actually kind of fun. Is, is We do a St. Petersburg march. It's a Russian thing by Johnny Vinson. And it's a, uh, and that's kind of a really neat little little march to put together. We can teach some history with it and some style. Third question is, name a band director who's crushing it right now. <laughs> okay. There are there are several. In middle school, I'm assuming, since I teach middle school. In, in South Carolina right now, one that I think is really doing great work, even though she has a school that's not, doesn't have the, the clientele that can do some of the things that, you know, Midwest bands are doing, things like that. MJ Robinson. Uh, teaches down here, came down from Tennessee, and uh, she has the personality. Uh, you got to be a little bit of P.T. Barnum with a doctorate to teach middle school, and 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 MJ's got it in spades. She spoke at Midwest this year, or or last time they had it prior to COVID, and she was and she's wonderful. She has the personality that kids just go, they can't wait to see Miss Robinson. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having me. I know we we go we go long on that, but. Middle school teachers are passionate about middle school kids. So if you get a high school director out there, come to your senses and go teach middle school for God's sakes. Uh, <laughs> go home. <laughs> when I have student teachers, like I really try to sell them on middle school because I think there's there's a lot of like advantages, both for like it, in your personal life, but also like advantages of starting the kids from scratch. You know, that's oh yeah, one of the things I in like the most. School, in middle school, it's your baby. I mean, if they if they're terrible, you did it, and if yep. they're great, you did it too. You know, you don't get the luxury of being a high school director where you can say my middle school guy really sucks, so that's why I can't get it done. But, you know, you started them, so you own that baby. And the other thing that's great about it is this for young teachers: if you're a young person coming out or just starting out in teaching or 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 haven't gotten there yet, middle school you'll learn to teach. You go through and take the test in college, and you learn some fingerings, and you learn a few things about instruments and all this jazz, but you don't know those instruments. In high school, a lot of kids can make you look like you do because they can figure it out themselves. But in middle school, they can't. And you'll be surprised the things that you will hear, that you will learn, that you will know, that you will not necessarily know if somebody just hands you a tailor-made high school gig. Uh, you really have to figure out some problem solving. I, I love middle school. I would never go back and teach high school again. It's not the hell that people think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel exactly the same way. I did high school for one year and I was like, mm, I think nope. I like middle school better. <laughs> and you know what? If you have to just go completely medieval, you're bigger than them. So it works. Too. <laughs> so, you know, oh, hidden advantages. Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light.